How's everybody doing today? Good. Doing well? And we have Lewis in uh, Indonesia, and Alex is sick, and the campus went to Glendale, and it's just us. That's okay with me. Hope it's okay with you as well. I'm sure they're going to have a great time wherever they are. Be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to talk about the idea today of being a worker for the Lord. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus brings up this idea of being a worker. Now, don't that, don't that scare you off? You know, for some people, they hear the word work and they flinch. You know, oh, oh no. Oh, no, work. That's a good thing. In Matthew 9, verse 35, says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When He saw the crowds, when He looked out over and saw all the people, He had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, so he sees this, this you know, massive humanity and he knows all the things that they're going through because he's divine. And he can see the things that are going on that are obvious uh, in their lives. And he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore. To send out workers into his harvest field. And so Jesus says, there are a mass of people, a lot of people, that would be open to the idea of being my followers. They're open. But there's nobody to get to them. There's no workers for them. And Jesus turns to the guys and says, hey guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And let's bring that forward into our time right now. How many people in our communities that we read, that, that we live in, if someone would reach out to them, that they would respond? The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Just as in Jesus' day is in our day as well. So this idea of wanting to be a worker or thinking about the concept of being a worker is a very good thing, right? Because eventually it's going to bring about people's lives. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I want to be a worker for the Lord. You know, a lot of times in our lives, the idea of being a worker actually isn't a bad idea, but we're a little taken back because we're not sure if we can do it. You know, uh, we're like, well, yeah, I know that that needs to happen, and I hope somebody really good you know, is out there and they'll do a good job. But I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm able. I don't know if I have the intelligence. I don't have the the talents and those kind of things. We're going to be looking at some passages in the book of Ephesians. So be good. Go ahead and turn it over there. And we're going to be looking at some of the things that it takes to be a worker for the Lord. And this is is able. You can get this, guys. It's in your grasp. Look over to Ephesians, and uh, like I said, we'll begin there in a minute. Ephesians chapter 2. Now we're going to read uh, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, but look at verse 10. This is where we're going to end. It says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this idea of being a worker or good works is what this whole passage is going to talk about. Look, look a little further in the, in the book of Ephesians over to chapter 3. 
in verse 16. Because we're going to read this passage too. And in verse 16 it says, From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting limit grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So being a child of God has a work element to it. And if you're going to be a worker, you might as well be a good worker, right? You don't want to be a lousy worker. Have you ever known a lousy worker? You know, some of us have worked with lousy workers. Isn't that irritating? You're over here working and, and the guy next to you, the woman next to you, you're like, hey, you know, what are you doing? You know, you just took a break. Five minutes ago, you breaking again? <laughs> and, and, you know, you know they, they've got the concept of breakdown, but not the concept of work down, if you know what I mean. They're not seeming to get any work done. And I want us to study this, study this in the book of Ephesians. There's some great stuff that we're going to look at here about what it takes to be a worker from an internal point of view, the influences on you from other people, and the power of God working in your life. Are you in chapter 2? Okay, chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. This first point or this first part of being a worker, we're going to talk about being personally motivated. Personally motivated. As for you, now if you're a really good Bible student right there, that's where you circle you. And you put your initials there. Or you write your name out. As for Marty. Okay? As for you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. And if you're a good Bible student, what do you circle? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Now by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This passage right here is talking about motivation. It's talking about personal motivation. Now, motivation can take any number of different uh, uh, ways. You know, people can be motivated externally. What's an example of someone being motivated externally? Outside of themselves. They're being motivated by somebody else. What's an example of that? What's that? A coach is going to motivate the athletes uh, under uh, his or her uh, realm, right? You need to run harder, hit harder, jump higher. You know, whatever the, the, the thing is. Run the play better. 
uh, that kind of thing. So that's an external motivation. Any other external motivation? Yeah. Parents. Parents can can motivate externally. At least I think they can. Uh, they they hope they can. Uh, their their children to be clean and uh, uh, maybe study hard or uh, you know uh, whatever to do homework. Uh, you know, don't steal when we go to the grocery store and, and that kind of thing. You know, you get the checkout counter and you look up there and you're like, where where did all that stuff come from? Or, or worse yet, you get out in the car and you see where did that stuff come from? And so you you have external. Motivation. Uh, a boss trying to motivate uh, the employees, right? That's external motivation. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about internal motivation. Now the difference between external and internal motivation in real terms is not even measurable. If someone externally motivates you to do something. They may be successful. But if you are internally motivated to do something, you will do it unbelievably better. You with me on this? This is internal motivation. This is personal motivation that he's talking about. He talks about that they were in sin. As for you, you were in sin, he's saying, before you became a Christian. He says, all of us were that way. There's a part of this passage that puts all of us on the exact same level. You know, in our world today, and and the world of that time as well, there was a constant trying to, to sort of rank people. You know, here are the A people, here are the B people, here are the C people, and that kind of a thing. Here are the the real uh, wealthy people. Here are the people that are just scrapping by. Here are the people that are poor. And and with all this side of uh, trying to sort of put people in categories. This this passage right here destroys any of that, all of that. He says, you were this way and everybody else was. He says, all of us lived among them at one time. Nobody's better than the other. And he goes on down and, and he says that, that, that he says in, in, in these lives, he says, like the rest, we were by nature object of wrath. It isn't that someone becomes a Christian and they were sort of, eh, yeah, they send a little bit. And it, but, but it wasn't anything really bad. Now that, that girl over there, she's bad. I, I wasn't pointing at my wife. Uh, that woman over there. <laughs> You know what sins we think are bad? The sins that other people are doing. You know the sins we think are not that big of a deal? The sins that we're doing. So we minimize our sin 
we maximize other people's sins around us, and we somehow want to have this feeling of, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. This passage obliterates that concept. It says all of us were in the exact same condition. And that condition is what is called lost. You're not A level lost, double A level lost, triple A. No, you're either lost or you're not. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is this is providing motivation for any individual. You know, some of us we say, "Well, I wish I was more motivated in my Christian life." And we look at other people around us that we think are more motivated, and we think, "Well, yeah, well, they've got more to be motivated about because they were so bad before they became a Christian, <laughs> and I wasn't really that bad before I became a Christian, and so I don't have that much to really feel." All that. No, 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 guys, you got to get this one. This is a huge one. You're never going to be eternally motivated, personally motivated, until you realize. I needed to be saved real bad. As bad as anybody else. And you're not trying to put anybody above you, below you, or any other place. And he uses this concept of mercy and grace. All centered around the concept of love. Verse 4. Because of this, because of His great love for us, Now, just exactly why God loves us for some of us is a mystery. Why would God love me? I'm not all that important. I haven't ever done anything fantastic in life. I'm not on Wikipedia. I'm an unnoticed person. I'm, I'm one of the mass of humanity that doesn't really have anything special. That may be the way you look at yourself. It's not the way God looks at you. Because God loved you. Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. You know, sometimes kids that grow up in the church struggle with this. They think, well, you know, if, if I sort of grew up in the church, uh, what was I ever lost? Uh, yeah. Just ask your parents. <laughs> no, no. You, you can't say, well, no, I, I, I was raised in a Christian family. I've sort of always been saved. No. No, uh-uh. Every individual, if you're going to come to salvation, you have to come out of lostness. You see, sometimes that's the problem with people that are raised in a righteous family is that they feel like, well, I, well how, how can I be all motivated? I, I've never really felt that lost. Listen, you need to understand lost is lost. You're not sort of, kind of, almost, maybe lost. You're lost. And because of God's love for you, because He's rich in mercy, He affects your life. In verse 8 it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. See, once again, everybody's on the same level. 
Not by works so no one can boast. No one can say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I give a lot of money to the church. I'm important. You know, you may give more than the person next to you. But really, in the big scheme of things? Really? Well, I bring more people to church as visitors than anybody else. Really? You had someone in the Clinton administration that came to church with you, right? (laughs) Not by works so no one can boast. This internal motivation is between you and God. That is crucial to get. Why do you want to be a worker for the Lord? You know, I had a joke. John was up here doing uh, his, his usual magnificent job on the songs and everything. And, and uh, they invited him to come up to, to sit on the box. I forgot what it is, uh, what that's called. Uh, but but uh, he said, you know, he said, I, I feel like I'm a worker for the Lord. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the box today. <laughs> he can obviously do a lot more than the box. But you know what? Think of all and just of, of what has gone on today to execute this service. From the children's classes, to the preparation of the children's classes, to the communion, to the songs, to the sermon, uh, to the setup of all the different things up here. The, the microphones and, and the guys down here that are directing the, uh, the uh, sound and, and all those kind of things. All these things went on. Somebody did all those. Right. Somebody did all those. When you were invited to church, when someone invited you to come to church, someone invited you to church. See, there's a lot of work that goes on to be a worker for the Lord. The question you've got to sort of ask yourself is, where's my motivation at? And your motivation is totally going to be tied up into how much you appreciate your salvation. If you really are in tune with the idea that I was lost, God loved me, and He pulled me out. And He blessed my life incredibly. That there's going to be a strong sense of personal motivation. Okay, well let's move on. Because it's just not internal or personal motivation that makes you a worker for the Lord. It's also, and look over to chapter 4, it's the concept of being prepared by people. To be a worker for the Lord, you've got to be prepared. And the, the plan is that people prepare people. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, the, the, the text goes, it says, it was He who gave some to be apostles. So God has is, is sort of put these people in positions of leadership. Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. These people are preparing other people for works of service. Now sometimes people say, well, I want to be prepared by God Himself. (laughs) Yeah, I I bet you don't, really. God's plan has always been that people influence people. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations... Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always. 
And, and, and as, as that whole thing goes, baptize them, teach them. That's people dealing with people. Anyone in this room that's become a disciple can list the names of people that helped them become a Christian. Well, yeah, there was John, and then there was, you know, we know the people. We know the names. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've grown up in the Lord, you also can name the names. Maybe they might be the same names, but maybe not. You can name the names of the people that have had a profound influence on your development as a Christian. You say, yeah, that guy, I mean, he, he, he was a discipleship partner with me, and boy, he was really good. And, and he challenged me, and we prayed together, and we go out and do things together. And yeah, man, that woman, she was awesome. Right? You can name the names. People prepare people to be workers. That's what this passage is talking about. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So people are working on other people to bring them to maturity, to help them grow up. People, helping people, is what this is talking about. Verse 14, Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we want all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ, from Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. People... Prepare people. Now, we're not talking about motivation here. We're not talking about people providing motivation for somebody else. Point number one was motivation. If you are not internally motivated to be a worker for the Lord, ain't nobody going to get the job done in your life. Ain't going to happen. You say, well, if we had a better preacher, I'd be more motivated. (laughs) Maybe true. But I doubt it. And that's not a judgment on me. That's just saying, if you want to be motivated and and you want to start pointing fingers of, well, my family group leader, or my husband, my wife, my dad, my minister, elder, motivation's got to be internal. Right. But the influence of other people in your life is part of the plan. That's how it works. Now I want to ask you, and you need to be honest with yourself in this, are you allowing people to have an influence on you? You know, you've got to live in the real world sometimes of do you allow people to have an influence on you? Do you want them to have an influence on you? Because you know it talks about here, this idea it says, you know, speaking the truth in love. 
Verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, will when all things grow up in Him who is the head, that is Christ, from Him the whole body joined and held together, blah, 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 builds itself up as each part does its work. We speak the truth in love to each other. We engage each other. We, 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 we speak what's true to each other. But it's going to involve some conversation that you're maybe not comfortable with at every moment. This is volunteer, people. You're not going to be personally motivated by God's love for you unless you decide to let it happen. You're not going to be influenced by other people around you and taught and and led and, and helped by other people around you unless you want to be. From a Christian point of view, you're like the kid that's sitting in the classroom and is no more paying attention to the teacher than anything. The teacher's up there teaching with all she's got. And the kid's out there... (laughs) When's recess? When's lunch? I'm going to go to the bathroom. Smoking in the boys' room. It's not going to happen unless we want it to happen in our life. I'm telling you, this is God's plan. It is God's plan that you're personally motivated by the, by, by the grace of God, by the love of God, mercy of God. It is God's plan... That people have an influence on you. And, and also, not this is not a one-way street. Everybody help me, help me, help me, help me. Right. How about you help somebody else? Yeah. It's people having an influence on you. It's you having an influence on other people. Yeah. You know, we can sort of get in that mode sometimes. I need people to help me. Well, you know, maybe you should help somebody else. Will that solve your problems? Might. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're busy helping other people, you don't have all, all that much time to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. You're actually busy doing something with and for somebody else. The great passage in, in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, where you know, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and this is his last letter to him. And he's saying, hey, you've received. Now it's also important that you give to others. He says, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust the reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Wow, there's a whole chain reaction here. The things you've heard me say and trust to reliable people, or reliable men, it says, you know, people around you, and trust it to reliable people so they can do what? So they will also be qualified to what? Teach others. There's an expectation here that if the work of the Lord is going to get done, it's people influencing, teaching other people around them. And it's passed on from person to person to person. That means somebody is helping you, but it means that you are helping somebody else. Now, I know where some of you are going with this. I I can read it in your eyes. Well, nobody ever calls me. 
might be true. You need to buy one of those newer phones. You can get them now. That receive calls and you can give calls. They're really cool. And you can call somebody else. Or you can text somebody. You know what the real cool thing about that is? I've learned this too. It's because when they read your text, it says it was read. Oh, oh I know you heard me. You see, if you just leave a message, you don't really know. Well, maybe they didn't get it. You know. Hey, text them, man. Because then you know they got it. But it's these relationships that we need in our life. I need them. You need them. If this isn't something that you grow up to a point where you're like, oh, I've graduated. I'm out of school. I don't have to listen anymore. No, no, no. This is life, guys. We need people in our life. We need people that we need to talk to. You know, sometimes for me, it's just a matter of, I need to run by another uh, person that I value what I think I'm going to do and see what they think. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Now, do I go to everybody? No. Nobody can go to everybody. You have to go to people that are in your circle of, of, of life and friendship and, and people that you know and people that know you. But if you want a friend, be a friend. Okay? So we've got this, this work for the Lord here. You've got to be personally motivated. You've got to be prepared by people. And then look back to Ephesians because we've got one more angle to look at this thing on here of being a worker for the Lord. I want to be a worker for the Lord. You know, we used to have a song we sang that, that, that way, but we don't sing that song anymore. <clears throat> I want to be a worker for the Lord. Yeah. No, 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 you don't want me to go any further than that. I'm faking it on that. You want to be powered by God. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. He's, he's saying this to the Ephesian Christians that He's challenged to let other people in their life. He's challenged them to be motivated internally by the, by the grace and mercy and love of God. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Now, if the, if the passage stopped right there, you'd be, hey, that sounds great, but I don't have any idea how to do that. What are you talking about in real life? Well, he actually has an incredible illustration that he's going to give us. Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. And I think what happened while he's writing this is he's observing the Roman soldiers that are in the prison that are protecting you know, uh, him, or not protecting, but in, in incarcerating him. And he looks at their armor. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. I love that last statement. After you've done everything, to stand. That means when the battle's over, you're still alive. Right. <laughs> you're still going. You're still standing. Okay? And now he is going to illustrate in his thought process here the principles of, of God empowering a person. How does God make you strong? How does the power of God... What do you say there? Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Well, he's going to fill in the blanks now. How do you get strong in the Lord? Well, he says it. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. You tell the truth. You speak the truth. Truth is such a crucial part of spiritual strength. When you're lying and when you're saying things that are about half true and you know they're half false, it erodes your insides. You know you're not being honest. They may not know it. You may be a quote-unquote good liar. I remember when one of our kids, I probably won't mention which one, was a kid. It kept lying. I'm trying not to give it away. <laughs> trying, not to, trying not to give away which child I'm talking about. And Chris said, you know, you need to quit lying. I know you're lying. I can tell you're lying. You're not very good at it. Some people actually get good at it. That they're good at lying. But lying, it just destroys you inside. You've got to learn to make yourself tell the truth. As you're talking with people. The belt of truth. Why is a belt important? Because it holds everything together. The parts of the armor that are down the legs, the parts of the body that are covering the, the torso, yet right in the middle you got the belt. If you don't have the belt of truth, the, the, the armor is never going to be a, a successful thing for you. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, Just do the right thing. Yeah, sometimes we say, oh, I, I, I wish I could just do better spiritually. I, listen, this is, not, this is not trigonometry. I don't get it. Start doing right things and stop doing bad things. And, and, and for most of us, we know good and well what we're doing is wrong. And we know good and well what we're doing that we ought to be doing is right. Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Readiness. I'm ready. Let's go now. That's what he's saying about the footwear. That the, the, uh, it's a readiness that he's talking about. You know, for a lot of you, you're, you're saying, yeah, that's a great idea. I hope I get around to it someday. 
I'd like to be a worker for the Lord in about 20 years. No, readiness means I'm ready to go now. Let's go after this thing right now. I'll be, I'm going to be working for the Lord now. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. You know, the shield. Just put that thing up, man. The, the arrows can't come through. This of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. You know, the helmet of salvation, you just say, man, I'm proud to be saved. I'm happy to be saved. I'm happy to be a child of God. I'm happy to have a relationship with God. And for some of us, and I really encourage you on this, you've got to emphasize the positive and minimize the negative. Not, 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 not exaggerate the, the negative and minimize the positive. You know what I'm saying about that? Because we can do that about, uh, we can do that about anything in life, but we can do that about the church. Well, you know, the church this, the church this, church needs to be better. Church, needs to be, You know what? Listen, I, I, I know good well the church needs to be better. Church, the church needs to be better all the time. There's never been a time when the church didn't need to be better. That's a profound observation you've made. And your implication is, is that, well, if the church were better, then I'd be better. Listen, if you're better, the church would be better. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you have to just sort of take this thing of salvation, the helmet of salvation, and I'm proud to be saved. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and he goes on down and, and he talks about these things. But if you, if you basically fit these things into your ideas, okay, I, I want to be truthful. I want to be righteous. I, I want to be ready. I want to have the shield of faith in, in my life. Those things then make you powerful because they are God's qualities. You see how the passage works? He's using this illustration to illustrate what he just said. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's how you be strong. Is you emphasize those qualities in your life. Well, let's close it out. Look over to Matthew chapter 25. Last passage we'll look at here. And it's on this idea of being a worker for the Lord. This is Jesus talking in the parable of the talents and He's talking about the judgment of people. The judgment of mankind. And He uses this analogy of a master goes away for a long time and then He comes back and He's asking for a report from His workers of what they did. And in verse 19 it says, After a long time the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And this is what you want to hear at judgment. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful worker. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You know, we started out by Jesus making an observation about saying, hey, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're closing out with Jesus making an observation about future judgment. And saying future judgment is really going to fit around the idea of what did you do with your life? What did you do with your time? What did you do with the things that I gave you in life? And what you want to hear is well done. 
good and faithful servant. There's not a person in the room that is going to earn that comment. Nobody at judgment is going to have done so much that God is just in awe of them. That's not really judgment. Judgment is God looking at you and knowing the real issues of your life internally and externally. What did you do with what I gave you to do with? You're not going to be compared to the person who's incredibly more talented. You're not going to be compared with the person that's incredibly more intelligent. You're not going to be compared with the person that's less talented or less intelligent. God has a total bead on me and you. He knows what our capacities are. He knows what we can do. And what you want to hear is you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's your life. You're in total control. If you want to be motivated by the grace of God, it can serve as the greatest motivation for your life that you ever possibly could have. There is no motivation that will internally motivate you like the grace of God. You can willingly submit yourself to God's plan of people helping people, of you helping others, and others helping you. Or you can say, no, pretty much no. God has given you the ability to say no. You don't have to be motivated by His grace. You don't have to participate in His plan. You don't have to be powerful because you put these qualities in your life. But the possibility of phenomenal motivation, the possibility of phenomenal improvement, the possibility of God's power being in your life protecting you as that armor protected that Roman soldier is there. I hope our study of God's Word today has been a good encouragement for you, perhaps even a good challenge for you. This is gettable, guys. This is not beyond your grasp. This is within your grasp. To have the motivation. To have the, the, the plan of improvement and the power to keep it going. I hope you'll take God's will into your life. Have a great week. And remember, next week is over in Glendale. God bless.